I'm Jennifer Campbell. I'm Karen Corgan. And I'm Kelsey Litchfield. Welcome to the Girls Talk Ag Podcast, brought to you by the Global Ag Network. This podcast is where we plow through the manure online and discuss what's currently going on in agriculture. From the good stuff to the rough stuff, we may not always be politically correct, but we're definitely honest. Welcome everyone back to another episode of Girls Talk Ag, and we got quite the guest today to talk about the ag economic side. Um, flashback to the last week's episode or the last episode, um, Jen and I were talking about the WASDE report that came out in August, and we figured we haven't talked about the ag economic side in a while. So hold, hold on to that. We'll introduce our guest here soon, but I just want to see how the other girls are doing. Karen, I know you've been busy, busy, busy trying to get the kids off to school and field days and things like that. How you doing? Yep, and I started, we started teaching lab yesterday. So it's been really busy. And I just realized this morning that I need to do some lectures for the week after next because I'm on tour in South Dakota, Minnesota, and North Dakota next week. So North Dakota, woohoo. Who doesn't want to take your class when you hand out underwear and candy right yeah <laughs> what I handed out underwear and candy yesterday we were doing dichotomous keys and talking about how you you know distinguish different plants and so I gave them candy like six different kinds of candy and had them key out for each other how it was um, and then I gave them each a pair of nice brand new tidy whitey underwear so that they could do the soil undies, soil your undies challenge so we planted two pairs at the college, and then they also are planting each planting a pair at home. Planting. One girl said, I can't wait to tell my dad I got underwear at my first day of college. Well, <laughs> at that. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Well, off to a busy start. I feel like my summer just stopped in a blink of an eye. I'm okay with that. Like as an adult, you really don't get summers anymore. So I don't know what I was thinking, but Jen, you are in your brand new office. If only people could see the lovely, is that a fireplace behind you? I know I've always wanted a fireplace mantle. So I purchased one um, at an antique store and, and someday it will be all finished, but at least I have a desk right now. So that's what's important. Mm -hmm. I was, I was legit working at the bathroom counter downstairs. So, yeah, you know, when your kids move out to college, instead of crying, I just redid their room. <laughs> <laughs> My parents never did that. They just kind of left it be because they knew I'd be back. <laughs> yeah. So, well, good. Glad to hear things are off to a good start. I was telling everyone earlier, I'm off to Des Moines today for a livestock show for the Iowa State Fair Special Edition. And I'm kind of looking, I'm not looking forward to the drive because it's not a good thing, but I kind of want to see the damage in Iowa that people have been talking about. I've seen pictures, I've seen videos, but I don't think that can quite capture seeing it in person. So we're just doing a drive along, so I'm not going to see much, but I'm kind of interested. It brings up our guest, really, because you and yeah. I were talking a little bit about whether the, the storm, I call it a Derrico, a Dorito. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I still don't know how to pronounce it either. <laughs> through on a Tuesday and Krista the Wazdi came out on a Wednesday last week. Is that right? Yeah, it did. And so the the storm damage was not accounted for in in that report. So okay. that was my um, original question, yeah. Yeah. So anyone who follows the markets may have noticed that there really wasn't a big reaction to that report and um, I think some of that had to do with the fact that 
you know, the report showed record yields in some states and um, kind of followed the market expectation prior to that storm. Um, and so we didn't really see the, you know, the drop in price that may normally happen when you have a report like that. Um, because I think that there was this <laughs> uncertainty, like we've just had this storm, we haven't had time yet to figure out mm -hmm. um, the extent of the damage, plus the fact that this is mostly based on producer surveys that had been conducted, you know, I think it's about two weeks before the report date. So, you know, the, the impact of that wasn't in there. We'll have Kelsey introduce you in a minute, but when you okay. said it was conducted um, two weeks beforehand, so then, then when you have a huge, what I would consider, if it wasn't, could have possibly been a huge market impact by that storm, then you got to wonder, these WASD reports, I mean, they are important, but they're not always very current. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of the beast, so to speak. Um, when you're collecting that information, um, you know, it takes some time to process those surveys. Um, so the, really, I feel like there's, at this point, not a whole lot to really dig into and analyze about the August WASI report, because I think that it's more so there's going to be, you know, all eyes on the September report for two reasons. For one, that's when we're going to see that the, the surveys that come in to, to, to go in that report We'll see what farmers are thinking about the damage. Um, in the meantime, we're also going to have time for, you know, figuring out, um, you know, what the extent of the damage is and how that might impact yields. The other reason the September report is always um, a big deal is because, well, actually, I guess I shouldn't say always, because just a year or two ago, um, it was moved from August to September, the first being the first report that they actually do some in-field scouting and testing and um, really get an idea of what yields are from some of some of that method rather than mostly just the producer survey um, throughout the growing season they also use satellite imagery but um, beginning with the september report now they also will be um, you know doing some in in-field yield checks and that's just a couple weeks away yep Yep. So then think about that data is going to be, um, you know, all the, all of that that goes into the September report will be happening, you know, here now over these next 10 to 15 days or so. Um, that'll be wrapping up probably late August, early September to get compiled for that September report. So I think really that's what we're looking ahead to now. That'll be a real indicator as to where we stand so my question is and i know nothing about marketing like zero zip like chris gets mad at me he'll be like should we sell prices are here and i'm like eh, you know my gut feels like he's like oh my god your gut and i'm like <laughs> yeah, my gut. but to me then from a novice standpoint how important are these WASD reports if they're not, like you say, it does take time. I, I totally get it. it takes time to compile the information, but how can they affect, how can they affect the market so much when they're not as um, immediate, I guess? I'm not sure what word I'm looking for. Well, it's forward thinking too. Like markets yeah. are, like are looking ahead too. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that maybe in today's day and age, they're a little less important than they would be. And I'll admit to, I am definitely no marketing expert. I really, that's kind of um, an area that I'm fascinated by and really would like to <laughs> um, become more comfortable in, but I'm definitely not going to claim that as any, um, uh, I'm, I'm with you on making decisions for our own farm as far as marketing and when to sell, like, you know, I am not on top of that game. Um, but I would say that I think these reports are still important because they're kind of the, um, so maybe we can, we can find ways to criticize the timing or question, um, you know, the, the quality of the survey or that kind of thing. But it's still really one of the best indicators that we have. Um, we kind of went through that last year during 2019 with those weekly reports that show the crop conditions each Monday. Those come out from, from USDA. And um, last year, there was a lot of dispute about those. Like, you know, well, this is not what I'm seeing in, in my area. There's no way this is right and questioning that. And it's kind of one of those things of it's never going to be a perfect process, but it's one of the, um, you know, it's really still stands as what other method do we have that is um, covering such a wide base. And one other point on that, I guess, um, when I said maybe these are not quite as important as they used to be, it's just because we have so much information at our fingertips and we do have things that are current and and you know so much that you can find so i do think the markets consider these reports still like they always have but they're kind of what i was saying is we didn't see that big reaction in the markets based on wasi probably because you know the market participants are still like well we just had this huge storm and we don't really know what that means but it certainly hurt some some crops so so it's kind of a combination of things well part of that and i don't it's just producer survey, right? I mean, you've got a lot of people who either, I don't want to say they mislead on purpose because I don't mean that at all, but like yep. farmers aren't very, um, there's a generation of farmers and some people who aren't very uh, forthcoming, don't want to be forthcoming with a lot of information. Yep, exactly. I think that there's still, you know, there's a lot of people who are hesitant about, um, handing out their information um and that kind of thing and 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 sharing that and so um and you know it's also a matter of who gets the surveys um because it's kind of a a random process so you know i made the comment this is this i keep um kind of referring to other reports of usda besides just the WASDE, um, that the which is the World Ag Supply and Demand Estimates report. Um, but there's the um, county yields, for instance, that came out back in February um, with the 2019 yields by county. There were several counties in Illinois for which soybean yields were not published. And what happens is when there's not enough surveys in a given survey area, then that information can't be published. Mm -hmm. Well, that can be frustrating if you're a farmer in that county, um, particularly those yields were kind of important for people that may have been waiting on those to make their farm program decision. So in that way, if you're a farmer in one of those counties, then you might be frustrated. Well, <laughs> I really could use this information to know, to know um, 
you know, to give me a, a guideline on what my town yield might be. That's motivation to, to respond to those surveys because it really is, um, again, yes, we can find, we can find room for improvement, but it really is, um, you know, the best source of information and, and very good source, um, you know, comparatively when you look at, um, you know, countries across the world. There's okay. always flaws too. Like I, there's always flaws, you know, in systems and everything and um, nothing's perfect. But like you said, Chris, I think it gives a good indicator of what is going on. If okay, possible. and that comes to my question and Karen wants us to introduce Krista, but I have to, <laughs> I have to ask my question while it's on my head. When you're doing this, what, how is this not handing Brazil our playbook? Well, I mean, I think that Brazil's going to be doing what they're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I the farmers yeah. there are um, farming, and I mean, that's that um, kind of brings up a whole other discussion of other things that we may talk about later. But um, I mean, Brazil's grown leaps and bounds in production of um, crops, particularly soybeans. Wazi is actually put out um, by the USDA, but it is, a, it is intended to represent world. I mean, it's world agriculture supply and demand, and it's intended to no. um, look at things on the world level. Um, and I mean, I think it's something that's, I don't really look at it as handing them our playbook, but more so like giving everyone an idea of where we stand. Okay, you just blew me away. I had no idea. Of course, I told you I'm, I'm very novice at this kind of stuff. I had no idea that was, Chris is probably gonna smack me later. He's like, really? <laughs> but Oh it's my God, it's all there. So before we get too far, I do want to introduce Krista. Um, our guest today is Krista Swanson, who is, Krista, what is your official title with the University of Illinois? You work in the Ag Ace, um, for all those that are Illinois fans, go orange and blue, but you work in the Ace <laughs> Department, which is Ag Economics at U of I. You're a blogger, a farm wife, you, you, you do a lot, but do you want to give the people just a little taste, little summary of who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name's Krista Swanson, and uh, my official title is Research Specialist, and I do work in the um, Department of Agriculture and Consumer Economics at the University of Illinois, and I study, uh, most of the work I do is studying, um, you know, policy impacts on farm economics, and um, I work with a couple faculty members in particular, um, Jonathan Coppice and Gary Schnicki and Nick Paulson are who I uh, work with the most. And anyone who follows FarmDoc or, um, uh, you know, probably recognizes some of those names. Uh, Gary also is exceptional at being out and about um, at all your standard winter farm meetings that you may have. I'm sure that a lot of listeners have, have heard him um, before and maybe one of the others too. Uh, so I work with them and assist with some of, you know, basically anything that they would be working on. Um, I, as um, Kelsey mentioned, my husband and I also farm here in Illinois. So um, I feel like that sometimes I can bring a different perspective, actually being active on the farm um, to some of that work. Um, I technically work for the Gardner Agriculture Policy Program um, with those three faculty members I mentioned, uh, and that's a program that is funded through an endowment fund. 
through the Illinois Farm Bureau family of companies. Um, it was left by Lynn and Lila Gardner to fund ag policy research. So that is um, in a nutshell what I'm doing for my job. Um, I guess a little bit more about me as a person. I mentioned we farm and my husband and I also have four young children kind of in the same boat as everyone else as dealing with what's happening <laughs> right now and, and school approaching and, and all of those types of things. Yep. You just made me tired. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this, I've seen Krista at, at work and she wears a lot of hats. Um, um, she's very- All of us do. <laughs> yeah, you're very involved in the community as well as through volunteering and things like that. So I just wanna um, give credit to all the the good things that you do. Um, Krista, I think one of the top questions I have for you is I just, I kind of alluded to this in our conversations back and forth preparing for this, but I wanna know what's the top thing you're working on right now? What's the most relevant, timely thing that you're working on right now? Well, it's really hard to narrow it down to a single relevant thing. I think the top thing, I guess, on everyone's mind or um, farmers' minds right now is probably, um, you know, the farm budget and, and all that that encompasses. So looking ahead, well, I guess first things first, how are we going to finish 2020? And then what is 2021 going to look like um, in terms of income and expenses? And uh, I guess one concern as we look ahead to next year, um, a, you know, a large majority of farmers do purchase crop insurance. So that's something that I feel like that puts a floor on revenue losses and that's been a, a good um, risk management tool in the past couple of years um, as we've been in these this time of lower incomes. But the thing that kind of con is concerning when you look ahead to 2021 is if we continue to have these low prices through the winter, the past couple of years, we've had a higher spring price that has kind of um, helped support that revenue floor and if, if these prices continue when that spring price is set next February, then um, that'll be something that doesn't provide, like I said, isn't as valuable of a risk management tool as it has been. So um, I guess then you don't, that's kind of like a safety net that may not provide um, as strong as a, a safety net as it has in the past. Um, so that's kind of one thing that I've been um, thinking about. We also have this uncertainty with the election. Um, yep. Plus, in some ways, I don't know that it really matters who the president is or what our congressional makeup is. Um, there's this question of, you know, the ad hoc. And when I say ad hoc, I'm talking about these special payment programs that we've had the last few years, like the market facilitation program payment, which was designed for trade um, to offset trade related losses. And then we've had the, the CFAP, the coronavirus food assistance program payments that have been um, this year. And so it's at some point you question um, these ad hoc program payments have really supported income. I mean, they've really helped farmers from not having major losses these last few years. Um, so especially, I should put a caveat in there. A lot of times when we look at, when I say that um, from a work perspective, we tend to look at cash rented land um, and the, the cost of rent um, in a lot of our, in a lot of our things. So when I say major losses, I'm kind of talking about that cash rent land 
um, those who own land, you know, don't have that extra expense and that makes a big difference. But anyway, they've definitely supported income in it. And so we question, will there be payments next year? Um, and what happens if we don't have payments and we don't have good prices? That's rough to think about. Like, I'm sure like things aren't good right now, but just thinking if they could get worse, what's, what's, what's going to happen? Yeah. So that's going to be, um, I guess things to watch for and, you know, I guess what we need is on the larger scale, we need demand for the products that we're growing um, and raising. And on the other end, at the farm level, I think now's the time to really hunker down and really sharpen your, your pencil and, and, and your business skills. And um, cost management is going to be a critical thing. We've actually done the last couple of weeks, we've had a few um, farm doc daily articles, you know, targeting that we had one uh, last week talking about cash rents and then one, um, or I guess that would have been two weeks ago. And then another one following that Tuesdays is uh, the day farm doc daily day where we typically have this kind of information like farm economics information on farm doc daily. And then there was one on management of other costs, starting with tillage. We'll have one talking about harvest um, costs and one talking about spraying costs and just really thinking about where costs can be trimmed or, you know, make sure that where money's being spent is the most efficient. Is that um, available for anybody? Just is that stuff online and anybody can look it up? Yes. So the University of Illinois uh, Farm Doc is the name of the website. That's F-A-R-M-D-O-C. And yeah, there's a daily, every, every weekly business day, there is a new article. And if anyone's not familiar with that is a really awesome resource. And typically the articles are, um, you know, I guess if you were going to print them on a sheet of paper, they'd be one to three pages long. Occasionally they get a little longer than that, but for the most part, you know, it's something you can read in, in five to 10 minutes generally. And Every day, it's something new um, on some sort of. It, they're kind of like little mini research studies. Link. We should link those. Courses. Yeah, I definitely will because the, I was doing some research last night, and I was just reading through. I was reading through the cash rents article that you had talked about and the 2021 crop budgets. And for me, a person who doesn't make any decisions in the farm, nothing, nada. It's kind of good information still to know. So when like maybe you are talking about a fa to a family member about it. You can have, have that discussion. I think they're, they're, you can comprehend them very well. And I commend the farm doc team for making them um, readable for anyone to read. It doesn't have to be just farmers reading them. Anyone can read them through and see what's happening right now. And there, uh, it's also a good place for resources. If you're trying to figure out your true costs, it gives you, you know, numbers for how much a tillage pass costs and different things like that too, to help factor in. I have a question on inputs in general. Are we, you know, we were at a high, which keeps getting longer and longer ago, <laughs> but it, it took a very long time for the cash rents to readjust and the inputs haven't really adjusted, but the prices have gone down. So are we going to see the cash rents come into a more reasonable area? Um, obviously, the seed companies and the chemical companies aren't really willing to give up their piece of the pie. 
um, but there's really not a lot of pie left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is a really great question. And this is actually, uh, this particular area is an area where I feel like I can kind of be a good liaison, I guess, between, um, so I mentioned how sometimes I think that being an active farmer um, helps in the work I do, or maybe brings a different perspective. And this, that, particularly in the writing of that article, which was August 11th, um, was the day that that one was published, if anyone wants to go find it, um, the one on cash rent. So I feel like sometimes we, it's easy to just say, well, cash rent should come down, right? But it's not that simple. <laughs> um, and, and I know, um, you know, uh, one of the, the faculty members I work with mentioned in an email, like whenever we say that at a, at a meeting or um, where we're, you know, talking, we get some farmer pushback because I think, and as a farmer, I feel like there's kind of a level of respect or sort of thing where you have for your landlord where, I don't know, it's not just a simple thing where you go say, I need my cash rent to be lowered. And, and, and I guess also you think back to the high income years and where your rent level was set at that time. So if you had what you would call a very fair cash rent in those years, then you might feel this um, hesitance to say to your landlord that you want them to lower it now. And I, so I think that there's this a little bit, and some landlords are very in the game as far as following what's happening on the farm um, and in farm income, and they're really, um, on to that, I guess you would say. Um, and then others are, you know, more absentee landowners that aren't, and they don't know. And so I think it really depends on your relationship with your landlord and how your leases are structured as far as how likely that is. And <laughs> I don't know, I just feel like it's a little bit of a touchy thing. It's, and it's sort of too, like you said, with other inputs, you know, everyone wants a piece of the pie or has needs for money in some ways. And so I don't know. That's a hard thing. Um, another thing in that article we talked about is, and I mentioned it a little bit ago, this ad hoc aid, you know, there's reason to believe that that's really kept cash rents elevated at a time where they might've had to come down. And what we mean by that is if you're a farmer who didn't get any MFP payments or CFAP payments the last three years, um, you might be in a situation where you're having to give up a higher cash rent farm maybe the landlord isn't willing to lower the rent, but you can't continue to pay it. Um, and there's going to be some of those situations, but with the payments, you've still been able to pay it. And so cash rents haven't needed to come down. We haven't had this flood of farms where the current tenant is saying, I can't do this anymore. And then the landlord's like, well, geez, I, and I'm not, I'm not able to find anyone willing to pay this amount. I guess I'm going to have to lower my rent. Um, and so I think that's the cycle. I think that's the problem. There is someone always willing to pay that high. Yep. At least in the area we live in. If it's yep. not commercial development, um, it's housing. I mean, we have an influx of Amazon right now. I think it's Cooper Tire built a huge warehouse just about three miles from our house not too long ago. And now it's not big enough. And they are just purchased ground and are building a new one just five miles north. Um, and, and there's just, there isn't, there's always someone in this area that's willing to pay that high cash rent. I don't foresee them ever leveling out. 
in but my you're in a kind of different area because you're not very far outside of Indianapolis. No, we, we have a, a huge housing influx and currently we have a huge commercial influx for warehousing. Apparently we're, that's why we're the crossroads of America. Who knew? But <laughs> trucking is like our number one industry here. But yeah, I, I don't see, at least around here, but I don't, to be quite honest, people want to farm and they're almost willing to do anything to do it. I don't foresee cash rents coming down in my opinion, and I don't know hardly anything. Heck, I was the person who didn't know that WASD started with World. So, you know, I just don't, for me, I don't see cash rents coming down. The people well, are really, putting it in context of all the inputs. Well, yeah. Oh, I agree. And I, the, the seed isn't getting any cheaper. And yep. you know, nothing's getting cheaper. So, I don't see anybody saying, oh, I don't see anybody's. It, I don't see any inputs, input companies saying, mm, we seem kind of high and you guys aren't making <laughs> So let's, let's average things out. I just, I, I mean, I'm, they don't have to. Farmers keep doing it. Jennifer, I think you are, you are right. And that's honestly the argument I make to my colleagues a lot is that, and even if you're not in an area that's, um, you know, on the urban fringe, I still feel like that is happening um, because there's farmers that will travel a long way and there's farmers that might have a solid enough owned base that they feel like they can pay that higher rent. Mm -hmm. um, and also, like you said, farmers want to farm. And so it is really difficult to, everyone thinks I can do this another year. I can make this work another year. And yeah. even if it's not penciling out for this year, farmers are, like the eternal optimists um as far as that like this there's always going to be a better time and there will be a better i'm pretty i mean i'm confident that there will be a better time it's just how how long is this downturn going to last and that's the unknown and but but no i completely agree and that's like i said the argument i make a lot is there's always someone willing to pay that higher rate it still blows my mind when you know every once in a while there's someone taking bids for for rent um you oh, know yeah. and presumably picking the highest bid and it just blows my mind sometimes <laughs> what uh what some of those or at least the hearsay about what some of those go for yeah um, like you say a lot of that can be hearsay and rumors but you know when you've put bids in and, and you know you're pushing your max yeah I mean, legit pushing it and someone outbids you it's it's a tough situation i also just want to say real quick that twice now during this podcast krista you said jennifer you're right and i love you for that <laughs> well you've made good points you know so that's <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> hey, Jennifer, I'll get you a recording of Krista saying that. Okay, Just you're right, and I'll give that you. you can play it back as much as <laughs> <laughs> your ringtone. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think that, I mean, you kind of hinted at it a, a little bit ago, but I mean, the problem is we need to increase demand, and so yeah. personally, yep. I think that all single use plastic needs to be made from either corn, soybeans, or some sort of crop, but. That's how I'm going to save the world. <laughs> yes. But I do have a question. You talk about this, and I'm not sure if this is, 
you talk about uh, corn and soybeans being food and also that it has so many other uses, which I think is fantastic. But how do you get that through to a consumer that the same thing you're eating and makes your food is also being your plastic and your, to me, that's, if I we can use corn and soybeans to save the turtles, Jen, come on. (laughs) Well, I actually would argue that that might be an easy sell because I feel like with the, I feel like consumers are actually going to be more open to us using the big commodity crops for those purposes rather than food, given just kind of the environment that we're in right now and the way consumer preferences have been tracking in recent years. Um, And, you know, I guess I'm kind of in this camp of if we can create a solid demand source like all plastics being made out of, um, you know, our, our crops. At least the single-use plastics, because I mean, that's plastics. what we throwing yep. away. Yeah. Personally, right. I am not willing to give up some of the convenience. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so if we could make that happen, like, I think that that's kind of a win-win because it gives the farmers who want to be able to com- continue commercial farmers who are farming a certain way and planting GMO crops and that kind of thing. Um, I guess I really don't see consumers having a problem with that being used in their, in their plastic, single use plastic bags. Um, Mm -hmm. For instance, I feel like they'd be open to that because it's, it's doing something. um, It's replacing something that was more negative, I guess. And so, and I almost feel like that flies into the field. It's just going back home, back home. (laughs) Yep. And, um, And that kind of opens the door for, you know, maybe then we see the, what used to be more of a niche market area, but now is becoming, um, you know, something more, more and more common all the time and opens the door for some farmers to do, um, you know, fulfill that demand for the organic non-GMO type of foods that um, a lot of consumers are demanding. And so I really think that if we can get the structure set up and and create those demand channels and, and make that happen, but yeah, Karen, I completely agree. We've got to get, we've got to find a way. Um, if we want to keep planting things like corn and soybeans, we have to find a way to uh, have a, a solid demand source. Um, that's something that people want. I hope someone's working on that right now. You would think someone would be trying to some, well, they've had things like know, straws made from soybeans. I know one of the ag challenges at one of the universities, I think it was Michigan State, had won that with a plastic straw <laughs> made from soybeans a few years ago. Um, Ten years ago or so, Ford was, you know, using commodities to make the foam in their car seats. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, you know, I think we need to push more of that because, you know, we have these huge landfills that are full, but if more of that stuff was made from something biodegradable, you know, we could win on both sides of the coin. Yep. I, I think so too. And I think, and I think too, there's, you know, there's really no reason that we can't be using more ethanol in gasoline blends either. You know, on the farm end, we're producing the corn, there's ethanol plants there. I mean, and that is a more environmentally friendly additive to gasoline blends. And it's just, I think that the the power of the oil industry has kind of kept that from really taking off like it should. 
I guess I, I also thinking about the election coming up and, and some of this conversation here, you know, Trump has done some favorable things for ethanol and he's also made some moves that haven't been so favorable for ethanol. And of course, it's kind of hard when we're in a situation where we're comparing a sitting president and what they have accomplished or not accomplished versus someone who's campaigning just because in campaigns, things always sound pretty. And then sometimes the reality is sometimes um, whatever barriers prevent things from happening. But Biden does have, you know, growing ethanol, um, reducing emissions of carbon, and actually um, exactly what Karen talked about, more biodegradable plant-based materials used in our disposable products. So, I mean, those are some things, hopefully, as we move forward, regardless of who's president, you know, I really think that we're going to have to start thinking more environmentally conscious, like I said, regardless of who's president, probably these next four years, I think that that's a real turning point. And that's a, I think that's a time for agriculture to really get in front of that and, and push those things um, in that direction. Gosh, I wish the election was done and over with already. Yeah. <laughs> Just be glad you don't live in Iowa or Ohio or a state that's, uh, you know, a swing state. Swing state. <laughs> yeah, that's the word, yes. Yeah, I'm okay with that. But I mean, you know, it's just all these unknowns right now, I think puts everyone on the edge, known what the prices are going to do. When will the, when will this downturn? And I think there's just so many what if and questions right now that for me, I'm a planner. I want to plan things. And that's, I think that's, that's the hard part right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if I was in charge, no, I'm just joking. But you know, there comes a time where it's just, I can understand why people are frustrated. I can understand why we have people's mental health are deteriorating right now because it is such a stressful thing. And a lot of things are out of your, out of your control. I don't mean to go down that path, but I just want, I just feel for all those people that have to make those decisions with so many unknowns, which I guess is kind of relevant right now because we're in a pandemic and there's still, there's even more unknowns right now. I said earlier that, you know, we don't know how 2020 is going to go, but I think we know it's going to be a dumpster fire. <laughs> it already is a dumpster fire. <laughs> And I think when I said that, I was referring to yeah. how farm incomes will end up. <laughs> yeah, I know, There's plenty we yeah. know about 2020 that uh, is it. I just saw a thing the other day on, um, it was like a meme and it said, you know, how long till we can start using 2020 as a curse word? Um, <laughs> like, like, so inserted into a relevant sentence, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, it was kind of funny. And it is hard when you're the one making those decisions. And I guess just since we're talking economics, I'll just say without, you know, the, the mental health advocacy isn't really my uh, area of expertise. And I know you guys have had Adrian DeSutter on as a guest, and that was a really great episode. I guess from the economic standpoint, the, the advice that I have or what, what I like to do is we have a lot of unknowns, but you can, you can work on budget projections and you can work, work on cash flows and you can run different scenarios. You know, maybe instead of a great, excellent case, moderate case, worst case, you know, maybe this year we're kind of starting at that. Maybe our optimal isn't as optimal as what we've had in the past, but we can still run different scenarios and look at what our cash flows look like with 
different price levels or, you know, different yield levels. Um, you know, and there's actually, I'll put in a plug here, farm doc, which we talked about earlier. So in addition to the daily short studies, we also have a whole section with tools that you can download. Um, so these are Excel spreadsheet based tools and they make it really, really simple to follow because you can, it, it gives you instructions and step-by-steps. Um, you can look at some baseline for your region or you can enter your own farm information and do those cash flow projections I'm talking about. You know, pull out your urine information from last year and then use that as a starting point. And, and like I said, this is this point where I think we really need to pull out our business tools. I know sometimes that's for some farmers, their favorite hats are, you know, um, the planting or the harvesting or the machinery work or, you know, whatever, whatever hat that they have to wear. Um, everyone has their favorite type of job task on the farm. And, you know, if business isn't your thing, then find someone to, to help you, you know, whether that be your accountant or family member or, you know, friend, whoever you may feel comfortable with. But that's going to be, I guess that's my way of dealing with uncertainty is, is working on what is my plan under different scenarios. That's really good advice. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think as a business owner myself, they always say, whatever your weakness is, go find someone that that's their strength and be a team partner with them. Mm -hmm. You'll both be better for it in the end. I think you can do that um, with peer groups as well. I know Twitter has become a huge asset when it comes to that, like just finding a peer group, a group of people that, you know, sometimes it's hard to discuss input costs with people that are super close to where you farm. And so sometimes it's nice to bounce, bounce those ideas and those, those inputs and get, get a range of price ideas and, and other things that people are doing maybe that aren't in your immediate area. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Jennifer, you're right. It's <laughs> on <laughs> my roll. In the, in the episode right there. Jennifer, you're right. <laughs> well, Krista, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us. Some of this, we had good questions, I felt like, that we, we wanted answers to, and you definitely provided those answers for us. And the start, I think, of a good conversation, good dialogue that um, hopefully listeners can have themselves and like Jennifer said, with their peers as well. So thank you for starting this conversation and um, in hopes that other people can have this conversation on their own operations as well. Uh, yeah, well, you have a blog as well, don't you, Krista? Well, <laughs> I'm kind of a failing blogger, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I did for a few years and I have, um, it was kind of, it's kind of one of those things these past few months, you know, let's be real, the pandemic and uh, having four little kids and school uh, remote and still trying yeah. to work. Um, it was kind of been one of those things that's fallen by the wayside. So <laughs> um, anyway, and honestly, I've, I've kind of, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where I kind of go in spurts with it. So um, I guess my favorite they could still oh. read though the blog, right? Well, not really right now because oh. <laughs> um, I don't mind. I mean, what I said about being real and you know, you have to, that's like part of being. Yeah, it um, is. I guess part the, of life. The reason I asked was I was going to let you shout out, but if yeah. you, you know, if that's, 
not where you're people right how now. can people follow you krista how can they get in touch with you yeah so i uh have a twitter my twitter handle is k swan farm and i mostly use twitter for sharing um you know things that we're working on at farm doc or other relevant type of agricultural um, material so you know hop on that um i also have been trying to use it lately to kind of um you know sometimes we'll have conversations like we were talking about this the cash rent thing earlier and it's like well i know how i feel as a farmer about that but what are other farmers thinking and try to kind of get some responses from the ag twitter world so um if anyone's into twitter and would want to give me a follow there i could always use a a bigger network there um and then also my university email is really easy it's krista k-r-i-s-t-a at illinois.edu and if you ever have some thoughts about a farm doc article more questions i even have sometimes people that email ideas for or you know this is something i'd really like to see the the farm doc team take on sometimes i'm a good connection to to, to get that to the people it needs to go to so anyone can reach out to me that way too. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate all your um, ideas today, all your thoughts, and um, hope you have a great safe harvest because that is on the horizon. It'll be here before we know it. Yep. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It was great to, to chat with you ladies. And yeah, I also wish everyone good back to school season uh, that we're in now for all those with little ones and or maybe not little ones but school-aged kids and yeah safe harvest and and hopefully we'll have safe and bountiful harvest thanks for hanging out with us join us next time for another episode of girls talk ag and if you can't wait until then connect with us on twitter